Kia ora whanau. welcome back to another Department of Conversation. Uh, we have a bit of an international film festival theme this week. Uh, we had a lovely chat, albeit with a slight technical glitch, um, to Simon Coldrick, one of the co-directors of By the Balls, a documentary about rugby in New Zealand in the 80s. We explain it more in the actual conversation, so we'll leave it at that for now. Um, if you do hear a bit of a click, a bit of a clunk, a bit of a... We, we lost internet about two minutes in, so we had to pause and sort of restart. Um, Jason will run his magic with audio editing, but if you do notice there's a bit of a repeat of a few things near the start, it's because uh, we dropped out for five minutes or so and kind of had to restart it. So apologies for that, but it, uh, it's great content. It's talking rugby, rugby world cup, Gosh, we've talked all sorts of things, including uh, movie making. These guys have been involved in all sorts of interesting documentaries and shows. So, um, yeah, enjoy Simon Coldrick, director of By the Balls from the New Zealand International Film Festival. I actually Facebooked John Kerwin, and I'm just going to say, not that I know John Kerwin, yeah. but I've, I've spoken to him a couple of times to come on as a guest, and one of the reasons that I messaged him was to say to him, you know, you, you, I'd love to get you down now, it's a perfect time, I'm just having Simon in, Simon Coldrick, welcome. Hello there. Um, talking about by the balls, and, and so it just made me, made me inspired to get in touch with these guys. I've been in touch with Grant Fox previously. He's not coming to Dunedin, but he says he said when we're in Auckland next to have a chat with him. Yep. And, you know, there's all these guys. So, all right, let's set this up like I'm partly a professional. Hmm. New Zealand International Film Festival is on in uh, Dunedin at the moment. It's obviously in Auckland and Wellington as well, I think, isn't it? And Christchurch. We don't really think about those. Places. No, no, no. They don't really, they they don't really matter. They've they done, done and dusted. Yeah, now. Um, and your documentary, By the Balls, is... I was talking to my old man about it. My father was the president of the Auckland Rugby Referees Association through the 80s. Yeah. So in the midst of Auckland rugby, right? And the way I described it to him that he had to go and see it was um, there's sort of a core story around the 86 Cavaliers and the 87 Rugby World Cup. I mean, there's more than that, but that seems to be the central core of the story that gets hinged to. Would that be fair? That's fair. I mean, we start a year earlier. Um, I mean, and there is some conversation around the 81 Springbok tour as well in the doco. Yeah. But it's, it's not what the focus is. It's, no, it's not the focus of the story, but you, you kind of needed it for context. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's just amazing. I'm going to have to, you know, you can rail me in about spoilers and stuff. I'm so, I'm honestly so excited about this documentary. I watched it. I watched it on the screen that you guys sent through. So thank you for that. But um, I, I might come again tonight. Oh, you should. I, I think, watch it on the big screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a m- much bigger experience. Yeah, yeah, and I put I put out a message to the Dunedin News Group saying everyone has to get along tonight. Because tell me, this was a bit of this was a bit of a late addition to the Dunedin program. It it it, it was a late addition to the festival. Full stop. <laughs> Why it, was that? Well, it's the documentary was commissioned by TVNZ for Sunday Theatre. Ah. And Charlotte Purdy, who was the producer and co-director with me. Um, said, I'm going to see if I can get this in the festival. I think this would be good for the festival. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And yeah. and she sent them a screener when we had a very rough cut and they said, we love this, can we have it? Yeah. Um, and then we suddenly realised we'd lost a month on our delivery and we had to hurry up and finish the bloody thing. We want to talk about Rugby World Cup and Spark. We started talking about it off air. Is that one of those things where you kind of go, well, let's stop talking about this and talk about it in the actual podcast. Um but what you were just saying is this is a TVNZ commissioned product. So does that mean this is not going back to the big screens? Because I'm telling my old man, you've got to get to this. You've got to get to this. You've got to go and see it. I would love it to stay on the big screen. But I, I think there are contra- contractual obligations with the broadcaster because they. this is what it was commissioned for. And as I was saying... Um, Getting into the festival was a late thing. Right. Um, so it was never intended and the distribution for cinema was not set up. It was purely for TV. But that's not to say in the future that it might not um, get a second life. I hope it does. But um, For TV, I guess, what, so TVNZ paid for it? Is that the... New Zealand on air. So it, it's... So ta- who needs the return, though? Ooh. New Zealand on air would get the return. I won. I mean, so as we said before we... Will cut mm. um, Cavaliers '86 Rugby World Cup '87. Obviously, what's happening in about what is it, ten weeks or six weeks or four weeks? Rugby World Cup. 
I would think this should be in the cinemas next weekend. I think this would be a great run-up until the start of the 2019 Rugby World Cup. I mean, I guess the other thing is, obviously, it plays on TVNZ the Sunday night before it starts as well. I think, though, TVNZ might be a little bit worried about their advertisers um, if it went in the cinemas. Um, But, look, I mean, let's, let's start a campaign. (laughs) <laughs> well, the other thing, I guess, and this has been interesting for... I'm interested how this whole system works. a bit of a digression, but that's what we mm. could sort of do here, is this should go to Netflix for the... Like, obviously, TVNZ has an on-demand process, but for the rest of the world, this should go to Netflix. Well, uh, Charlotte was um, trying to future-proof and find avenues of international sales as part of the production. I mean... It, it's a good thing and it makes it harder as well because you have to licence for worldwide. So yeah. all that archive that you see in the film, you know, it's come from all over the place. So then you have to do negotiations with um, rights holders. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of stories I could tell you about how hard it was to kind of track down people to actually get access and permission to use some of the footage. So Can if you're going to do what... the microphone a little bit closer. Um, so the... To get worldwide, you then have to license for worldwide. But yeah. Charlotte has done that, and oh, okay. apparently, um, she has been contacted by distributors who are really keen to sell it. So hopefully, it will get an offshore audience. Um, when we we're in uh, Wellington, uh, there was a French journalist there, and she was saying this needs to be played in France, which I was quite surprised. Cause That's really interesting because it doesn't show up the French very well. This, I mean, not a terrible light, but are we able to say the connection between the rugby and the? Yeah, absolutely. So, so see, okay. So we were just saying before. I'm not sure how far we went through this. So I'm a '73 baby. So I was eight at uh, Springbok, seven or eight, depending on what month it was, which means first rugby world cup I was 13, 14. So it's a formative time for me. Also mm. a massive fan of Auckland rugby. I, um, my old man was in the Auckland Rugby Referees Association, was president for a while. So we got to go to some of the aftermatch functions for the, uh, I was going to say the Blues, the Auckland team and some of the All Blacks teams. Yeah. Uh, was a fan of Marist Rugby Club. So I would literally be standing on the sideline. And this is one of the things I miss about rugby now. I would be standing on the sideline at the Marist Clubs in Auckland and where you were was John Kerwin yep. playing on the wing. Inside him was Bernie McCarhill. On the other wing, I don't know who there was, but there was Zinzan Brook in the back of the scrum. There was the Brook brothers there. These players were playing on the field from me to you away. Yeah. And that just doesn't doesn't happen anymore. No. So 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 this was formative for me. Um and it was just a massive part of a massive part of my life, so it's really resonated with me. This, I mean, this, I suppose it's doco. It's it's also that thing, you know. We moved into professionalism, so the access to those guys who was, I mean, the, I was just going to say they were just blokes, but I mean they were all blacks, but they were, you know, they had jobs and things, so they didn't have the the commercial bubble around them like they do today, you know, with professionalism. So, it, do you know one of the things I noticed in your doco? Oh, we were going to say, sorry, we jumped forward there. Can we talk about it? Um, so I wasn't aware of the connection. So obviously in the 80s, the French weren't seen, not not the French rugby team, but France, yeah. for various Muro, Atoll and Rainbow Warrior situations, weren't seen that nicely amongst New Zealand society. But I was obviously too young or too oblivious to realise the follow-through and the carry-on towards when the All Blacks played France. Yeah. I guess it would be like if, if you know, the, the Australians did something terrible to us now... And then we were playing Australia in the Rugby World Cup. There'd be extra venom added there. Absolutely. I mean, look, this was always the intention that, you know, it's one thing to have sporting foes or rivalries like Australia and New Zealand. But um, Charlotte was really keen to put the political context and the social context around it. I mean, that was why she wanted to do the film when she put it in to get commissioned or, you know, to try and get interest. Yep. Um, So it was always there at the heart of the story and 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 it is that thing because suddenly you discover the you know you get the rainbow warrior um bombing and then they're playing the french it really kind of adds spice totally to to the mix of the sport and and the you know uh, i suppose it is that whole point that sport and politics don't mix and and this film is very much about the fact that you can't separate the two they're joined at the hip but then later on you hear stories about nelson mandela being on is it robin robin island yep um hearing stories about the people in waikato stopping the game and that giving him heart yeah so then you kind of go well anyone who thinks that there's no crossover between sport and politics is is loony 
You know, there's obviously there's obviously a connection there, or at least there can be a connection in certain circumstances. I, I, it, it was, look, I think it was a convenient excuse um, by certain parties. I mean, people wanted the sport, you know, they, they wanted to see the Springboks play. They were seen as one of the, the biggest teams in the world at the time. So for New Zealanders, they wanted to see their team play the South Africans. Um, but I think also the rugby union in the day, completely separate from today, yeah. um, you know, they were complicit in the whole thing, in the whole mix of things, because they talk, you know, they just, one of the characters says Blazy, um, sort of represents the rugby union for me mm-hmm. in the time that, you know, you sport and politics don't mix. It, this is sport, we're going to do it regardless of everything else. Yeah. But, you know, and... If you go backwards, before that, you had the 76 tour mm-hmm. that resulted in um, the Montreal Olympics with 25 teams basically boycotting it because of the All Blacks tour. Um, and then you get everything that went down in 81. And then they plan a tour in 85 to go to South Africa, which is really the start of the film. To say that, you know, they don't know what's going on and sport and politics doesn't mix is just, you you know, I'm never going to buy that one. And also, you've done such a clever job bringing the social commentary in. I was thinking, you know, how sometimes you see a banner to a, um, a film and it's got quotes from like, uh, Rolling Stone says, da 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 says, and I was yep. thinking the one for this is so much more than just a rugby documentary. Yeah, the tagline. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's because it's so much more than that because it's just <coughs> it explains everything. And I'm, I was trying to say, I, I put a message up on a Facebook page today saying, you know, if you like rugby, if you like politics of the eighties, if you like, you know, New Zealand society, if you like all these different angles, and, and a Zealand, bit of music, yeah, as well. music as well. Was it bam, bam, bam? Blam, blam, blam. Blam, blam, blam's in there and there's some other bits and pieces. The dudes. It's just, yeah, it's great. But um, we were jumping around a bit there, weren't we? Yeah. I was thinking about the the players and stuff. Did anyone actually tell you about the money for the Cavaliers tour? Because part of the doco talks about, you know, was there, wasn't there, this, that, the other thing. That, that I, is... I know one of the players, and I won't give too much away, mm. admits to being offered more money and that kind of stuff, but... Did anyone actually say this is how much that they were offered and this was the conditions, or was it all still kind of even whatever it is? Thirty years later, it's still sort of hinted about. It's. It, I mean, we do go there in the film, and I don't want to go into spoiler territory because yeah, sure. I, I think it's one of the revelations of the story is that you know there was all sorts of rumours about the guys who went on the, the rebels who went on the Cavaliers tour were paid, yeah, which would have pushed them into the world of professionalism, which basically would you know was. You know, no way is that going to happen. Um, and obviously what happened was the the All Blacks, you sort of have to step back in the story, the, the 85 tour that was planned by the rugby union was, was canned. Um, again, like 81, there was a, a big public backlash, but there was also, there was, there was a court case as well that sort of brought it to its knees, which mm-hmm. we, we see. Um but the guys who were going to go, who had this tour taken away from them, then decide to go on their own tour, which was the the famous Cavalier, infamous Cavaliers tour. Um, and, and of course, there's a lot of talk about whether they were paid, what the money was. There was talk about they were being paid diamonds, you know, bank accounts in <laughs> Hong Kong, gold bars, all sorts of stuff. Um, we go some way towards getting to the bottom of things, mm. but people are very still very cagey about it. Um, uh, maybe John, maybe they have to be. Maybe maybe if they admitted to it, maybe the tax man would be it, it on could, the door. It could well be an IOD situation. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know um, go go back and have a look at some of those players and see what they declared in 1986. Well, they, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think you're you may be onto something. There could be <laughs> they they couldn't they couldn't fess up. Um, and once they sort of sealed the lie or the you know the story they wanted to spin, it's kind of become their version of the the truth ever ever since so they've never gone back there so foxy went foxy went buck shelford went yeah i tell you what you know the story that buck tells about his testicle mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a story of legend mm. right but but and, I, and even though it is a story of legend i'm not going to tell the story because when i watched in there i was like holy crap that's about 10 times worse than i ever have ever heard before yeah the actual story that he tells about when that happened and the uh and what happened two hours after he got it fixed up, which I thought was it's great, there's your classic it? classic Kiwi story. We we focus on some. I mean, 
as you said, it, it is not just a rugby story. And this mm. is something we keep trying to emphasise to people because we've had people who, who've seen it said, oh, I wish I told such and such. They yeah. said that they thought, it, you know, it, and, and people should come and see it for that reason. Because yeah. if you don't like rugby, you'll love it, I think. So, I, I agree. I agree. And I think that I think that because it does tie into some of those other things, like, I mean, there is imagery of the Rainbow Warrior, yep. and those sorts of things. And actually, I think New Zealand and the nuclear-free New Zealand, I think New Zealanders, looking back on that era, probably stand up quite proud. You know, yep. like as a, as a nation, like we stood up to, we, you know, wouldn't bow down to, we made a difference in the world we said F you to yep. various people who were trying to be in charge of us. So I think that it's a, a – and actually it's a little bit like – I was thinking a few parallels. You know, South Africa won the Rugby World Cup, I think, in 95, mm. and that seemed to bring the country somewhat yeah. together. I mean, the 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 the, 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 mo- the movie with um, Morgan Freeman and Matt Damon. Invictus. 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 Kind of tells the story of how that helped the whole nation. And yeah. this, this period kind of – shows the nation maybe even growing up and to the end of 87 Rugby World Cup, the journey that the whole country went on and rugby might have been the core of the doco, but you see the journey of the country. That's absolutely it. I mean, if you were going to, you know, if you were going to have a tagline for a film, it's very much a coming of age film for New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, that, and that's the great thing is New Zealand has spoke up and spoke out and protested and said, no, not in our name, you know, and, you see all those things happening in the film, which I think, is, and it is that thing is, um, as I say, it's like a coming of age for the for the country. You know, you, if you think of the Muldoon era before that, you know, into um, Rogernomics, the whole the economy, the everything, social, socially and politically, the country went through so much, and then and then put sport in the mix of it, and 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 I suppose that's what we're sort of saying is that you know rugby actually. Kind of was the thing that was, was the winner was, of the day. Was, was the healer. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that those players that went to the Cavaliers, yeah, now a majority look back with regret? Because I, I was seeing them. I think from watching the docker, but also thinking it through. Mm. I mean, they lost two one, three one, the series three one, the Cavaliers versus the Springboks. Yeah, was that right? Three one. Yeah, I would think that. What that actually meant was if they got a financial reward, that was the only benefit for them. I wonder if they look back now and kind of go, man, we've we've kind of in part damaged the all-black brand and we've damaged our own rugby brand and was this really worth it? If you line them all up now, do you get a feeling as to how those players that went would feel? Well, it's interesting. Charlotte approached a couple of the others mm. of the Cavaliers who went and they just didn't want to go there. Wow. Um, she offered, um, you know, Come Gold, on. diamonds, that no, sort of thing. No, 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 I was going to say, you know, a chance to look at, we'll, we'll put you in, interview, put you in the car, and if you don't like what you see, we'll talk about that and change, right. t- you know, if you really feel strongly, we'll take it out. Yeah. But they just didn't want to go there. I mean, I think what you get from Buck is a, is a fairly frank, and I'd say all the interviews are frank and, and open in a way that you probably don't see from modern sports men and women. Yep. Um, and he gives his justifications and he hasn't changed, you know, he hasn't over time changed his his um, story as to why he went mm. and his justifications. He, I don't think he went, you know, but looking back now, I wish I hadn't done it. I think the guys who went, went for financial gain. Um, Buck has a, a, a different slant on that. And I'm sure it's the same for some of them that, you know, they wanted to play over there. But, you know, the offer of the... If you think about the, the sums that were talked about and we talk in the film, which I, I won't yeah. mention because I think it's, it's, it's good info when it comes out in the story, it, it's, it was significant in the day, if you look back. If I, I mean, I'm not going to mention that either because you've just said that, but what would the average salary have been for your average worker in the middle 80s? 30 grand? Yeah? Okay, that, so if, that, if you think 30, 30 grand, 40 grand probably would have been good money, hmm. then, yeah, well... Significant. Yeah. Significant. I would set you up, probably, maybe. Yeah. Buy a house. Yeah. And then and and this, some. In this day and age, you'll half a, a third of a deposit for a house. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up in the UK. Yep. So what was the experience like for you discovering this 
the story. Well, it's like a, a quintessential part of New Zealand recent history. As you say, coming of age story of New Zealand, you're discovering it on some levels as an outsider. Yeah, I, I mean, I knew bits and pieces. I, I, I'd heard about this rebel tour. I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about it. I, when The first time I came to New Zealand, I was shown a VHS of the 81 tour and the flower bombs and things. So I, I was very aware of that. Um, Rainbow Warrior was a global event. Yeah. Everyone had heard that but I hadn't seen the story in context that we put it in right or the you know the dots being joined yeah so I had informa- I had knowledge of some of it but not to the degree I did obviously by the time I finished it and um, what was your when you came out of that journey and you got to the end mm. as someone seeing it maybe for the first time in its entirety although I was here and I still saw it in its entirety for the first time as well. But someone coming from offshore, maybe not knowing some of the oh, incredible. the legends like the testicle story, maybe, I don't know. Oh, look, I, t- I mean, I th- it, I mean, I'm involved in it, so I would say this, but I think it, I do think it's a really, really good story. You know, uh, I, I think it will surprise people. It will make people laugh. They'll be shocked. They will be surprised. They will cheer. We've had in the screenings so far, we've had rounds of applause yeah. during the film because there's... You know, we see John Kerwin score the, that famous try. Um, and it's amazing that people, you know, for them, it's still a defining moment yeah. in, in all black rugby history, you know. but um, And the point that the players made there, which I'd never thought of before, is you only get one chance to win mm. the first Rugby World yeah. Cup. <laughs> you know, only one person can win. Yeah. I mean, you could be silly and say, well, only one person can win the second. But there's something about the first. I mean, who won, who won the first gold medal in 1896 Athens? whatever the equivalent of 100, only one person could have won that yeah. first race. The first ever. Yeah. And on home soil as well, so even bigger really. You know. who, so, was the, who was the second person on Everest, you know? Well, other than Torgay. Uh, the second guy was Hillary, wasn't it? Wasn't the <laughs> yeah. first one? <laughs> it was, yeah. Tenzing was the first. Tenzing was the first I think so. And all his, all his mates had gone up the day before. Yeah. Sacrilege. I'll be careful. I'll restrict. I, we were, we were, we'll cut that He's out immediately. He's on the currency patch. <laughs> um, so are you a huge rugby nerd or are you more of a fi- – so this is either a story you've told because you're a storyteller mm. or a passion because you're oh. a rugby nerd or maybe both. It, both. I wouldn't say I'm a rugby nerd. Yeah. Don't start asking me statistics and facts and figures and who kicked what and when in what game. That's, that's the job of Jill, the producer, <laughs> who's hiding in the background, who knows more about the game than I do. Um, but, I, look, I, I grew up, I played it, I got to counties level um, nice. in the UK, which was, is the same as playing for Southland or something at, yep. at schoolboy level. I was very lucky to go on a tour. I was, I was a member of a junior rugby club which is celebrating its 50th year, um, and it was one of the first junior outside of school rugby clubs uh, in the UK. And we got to tour all over the world. I went to Romania, and I was lucky enough to be coached by... Um, a British Lions coach Carwin James, mm-hmm. who some New Zealanders might remember from 1971. Um, and so I've, I, you know, I stopped when I went to college. I kind of found other things, like a lot of people do. And you college know, being university, college being yeah, college. Right. Um, and I, I started, I fell out of it, but I never stopped loving the game. Right. Um, I also remember uh, one memory I have is my dad took me to see the All Blacks at Twickenham in I think it was either 78 or 79. Um, and putting me on his shoulders when they did the harker, wow. which is which is another part of the story we tell in this film, and and the effect it had on me seeing that. So you know, all blacks were legends back then for me anyway. Yeah. Um, so to be able to tell the story today was all be part of telling the story well, was, I, was fantastic. I, some people don't know this. I, I already knew this about the the harker never yeah. happening on on New Zealand soil before. But part of the story that I didn't know was I didn't realise when the very first one was. And that's a part of the first one on home soil and that's a yeah. part of your story as well. I did know, and I think it's pretty well known, so I can say this, that Buck Shelford is one of the reasons we have the the passionate Māori haka today mm. and the feeling behind it because he basically said, boys, we're going to do this properly or we ain't doing it at all. Absolutely. And um, I, so, so actually it's a, you know, we've had various guests here and there are various people in New Zealand who have contributed a lot to bringing, you know, to, to fighting through for the Māori language or Māori mm. culture. I reckon you can probably put a lot in his lap to do with the passion most New Zealanders. Like I would, if you gave, if I missed the national anthem at the start of the All Blacks game, mm. not too fast. No. I won't miss the haka. No. Like if I'm if I'm somewhere and, and the haka for me is more, um, 
I don't know if spiritual is the right word, but certainly more a part of my sort of inner love for this country than the national anthem. And I guess from part of your story, part of that can go back to Buck Shelford. Absolutely. I mean, no, I don't know what more I can add to what you've just said there, actually. <laughs> so thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, um, absolutely. I, I think he, he very much believed that it hadn't been done properly. Yeah. Uh, and, and we kind of revisit some, you know, some footage from the past <laughs> where, t- to be yeah, honest. Find that. So look up like um, Haka, All Blacks 1960s Haka. Well, look, I think you it see was. see these guys se- basically dancing away in. Was it 72 against Wales or yeah, something like that? Yeah. Um, and no, it's not good. It, it's, I mean, I'm, I remember seeing it in 78, 79 and thought it was amazing. So right. uh, it, you know, it, to me, it was amazing. But compared, what do you to think the, of watching it now? What do you think of that triangle that they've got with Kieran Reid at the front? What does it make you think and feel now? I think I, I, I still think it's it's amazing, but it feel it's very polished now. Right, it's it, it's part of the theatre of the game, mm-hmm. I think, and people expect it. Uh, here you go. This it's is Grant Betty. Yeah, that's the one. There you yeah. go. That's the one. And look, some of them won't. They have, they've never even learned it. Like that uh, guy, that dude in the middle, he doesn't know it. Oh, there's uh, BG Williams, I think. Yeah. So it's not. It's basically it, what you would get, uh, you know, when um, the Kiwis are and in, they do it to the crowd. Are in an American pub, get drunk, or you know, they're in the mm. British pub, and they're like a bunch of white drunk guys go, "Oh, I'll do the hucker because we won," and that's what it looks like. Yeah. yeah. The other thing, the other thing that's fascinating about the hucker is. Um, I mean, even though I, I genuinely love it, like I feel like it's a part of my New Zealand, mm. is when I see like the tall blacks, the basketball players or something doing, I'm just like, mm, it's not right. I've heard a couple of podcasts, heard Joe Rogan in America kind of taking the piss out of this thing that the that this this little country in the South Pacific do this dance beforehand and he just doesn't get it. Mm. But then again, when he talked about seeing the, he talked about seeing the tall blacks doing it against the American basketball team, I kind of go, oh, I can kind of understand that a bit more. It just doesn't seem to have that same... I don't know. Maybe it's my culture being rugby is where it belongs. It feels it feels different having other teams do it. I, I'm assuming they were the sport, the first sports team in New Zealand to ever do it. I guess so. Look, I mean, like so, they, they, it's kind of theirs. They they owned it because they started it. And I mean, did anyone else do it? There've been some unbelievable ones. Jace, if you look up, um, I think ha- I think I've got the one you probably want to. Hacker response about. Wales. This one? Uh, not that one. There was this one, this, this one, I because I remember seeing this one myself live, and it was like, and I'm not a rugby guy, but this one I was just like, holy crap! Right, I, think, I think this is they walk up on the guys. So it's yeah. England. And this might have been the first time they did the alternate one. I can't remember what the name of it is. Though. Is that the World Cup? Okay, that's 2011. We'll skip through. We can sit here and watch hackers for the next hour. We we'll do that because I've got one I want to play too. To skip forward a little bit so we can see what English do. So this is Kapo Panga. Ali Williams. Oh yep, yeah, cool. Do the do look up look up um All Blacks and I think it was Wales in Wales, Haka response, best response ever. And what Wales did was, and I love this more than anything. Um, because the Haka is a challenge. It's a challenge. And the Welsh team, I'm pretty sure it was the Welsh team, then refused to leave the line. Yeah. And oh, so yeah, the All the Blacks, yeah. the All Blacks were facing them and the Welsh were facing them. The referee, the little referees running around going, okay, now back you go. And, and none of the teams would leave. And and I was doing talk back when that happened. Just skipped to right near the end, Jace, because that's to show you the bit where they all finish. And um, so... A bit further, a bit further when they finish. So they finish. Yeah, this is it. It's brilliant. And I think that's perfect. There was, when that happened, there was a bunch of talk of disrespect. And I'm like, actually, the Welsh have done the perfect thing. They've said, this is our house. Mm. You've done your haka. Now you can leave the centre line. I mean, it is interesting because. Beautiful that was. I mean, mean, whether there were protocols when you are the receiving team oh fuck it it. that's their house yeah I mean if that's how they want to respond it's a challenge so you have to respond to the challenge and for me this this is you hear the referee blowing the whistle going come on lads (laughs) come on let's play rugby and they're like nah and eventually the All Blacks leave first there you go All Blacks are leaving which means the Welsh responded and they said Mm. we accept your challenge now you turn your backs and walk away oh I love that so much 
That gives me chills just watching that little replay. <laughs> you can see why I like the documentary. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm not on the rugby guy, but just I'm, I'm a Kiwi. But, and I remember seeing the first, I think that was the moment there, the video, when that first time they did, what was the alternate one called? And they did like. It's Kamate and Kapo Pango. Yeah, and they, they, it was the first time they did it. And it was, I think I was watching, because it must have been, it must have been like the semi finals for the 2011, 2011 yeah, World Cup. I think so. Mm. And I was at the pub watching it, and I was just like. Because the crowd lost it mm. when they started, like, they're like, "Oh, it's something. It's a, it's a different haka." Because you know, I think they'd announced that they were doing something different and all that sort of jazz. But it was different, and it was just like, "Wow!" Mm. If they don't, because I think if the, <coughs> I honestly believe, and I think I've said this to a few people, if the All Blacks were, because I, th- I think some countries have tried to do this. I could be wrong. Has stopped them from doing the haka. Or say if you can do the hacker, we can do a bolsing Matilda or something. Um, <laughs> some of them do that. <laughs> and, yeah, and Australia. And do I think if the Matilda. All Blacks weren't allowed to do the hacker for some god knows why reason, I think they would actually be starting off on the back foot. They would actually they would, they would struggle because it's. I, I think so. It you're saying ma- it gives them an advantage. I think it actually. I think it, an advantage in that psychologically it, it gets them ready. Mm, it's, it's, of course, it's, they listen to the music in their in their headphones before the game. They come out. They're mentally prepared because they you know they have psychological coaches that coach mm. them about being mentally prepared as well as physically. If they don't do the hucker, they're, they're probably going to. It'd be like running yeah. late to a meeting. You'll feel like you're starting on a back foot. You know. Yep. Yeah. Although, although in saying that, I, I actually agree with that. In saying that, you know, every Super Rugby game they play, there's no hucker at the start, all that kind of stuff. But I know I can't remember which it is. We don't need to keep looking at huckers. But there's been times where they have been not allowed, and I remember there's a famous one where they did the hucker in the dressing room. Yeah. And then they went out and did it. Yeah, I can't remember which game it was, but so they still did the hucker. Mm. They just didn't, didn't didn't do it on the field. I mean, I think I think the fans want to expect to, and if wherever the All Blacks play around the world, it is part of their presence on the pitch. You know, so you 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 have to have it. I mean, I think so. Yeah, and the, and the other thing is, it's not just New Zealand. I mean, mm. you know, all the Pacific Islands do. They it. do. I'm interested. I was watching the game in the weekend. Oh, got to talk about it. Um, yeah, and it seems in the last few years. Australia, either by choice or by force, mm. have started to bring that Aboriginal cultural content into, like they do the welcome to the ground and that now. And I wonder, mm. I just had this picture in my head. Imagine Kirtley Bell doing something mm. from his from his cultural you know, background. I wonder if that's going to be ever a part of what the Australian team do. The Australian team are not what they were, mind you, neither is New Zealand of a, you know, a, a Caucasian team made up of private schoolboys anymore. It's no. that's not their makeup. I wonder if one day in the not too distant future we're gonna we're gonna see more teams. Um, you know, the Irish might I can say this. I'm. I'm. A, I'm got my Irish whiskey over there. They'll just. They'll. They'll have some. They'll have a drink before. So what? The English going to do a Morris dance? <laughs> Morris before. dance around the pole, or something. <laughs> I don't know. I just think. I think it's. I don't think it's a part of the theatre of it. That feels a bit disrespectful, to to the the cultures that do it. But I think it's certainly a part of it. It's a part of the mm. game. It's a challenge. It's like a. We are meeting here. This is war. This is the battle, mm. and this is how today we challenge you in battle. And I like it. I think it's cool. I th- oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, but it's interesting. You know, you talk about does it give them advantage? I th- I think people would feel robbed if they they didn't see it. And it, they I think and, you're right. And it is part of the identity of the country. And you can see that when they set up for the haka now mm. that. All the cameramen are lined up on the ground to take photos. All the microphones are there. Obviously, the television executives aren't idiots. The press aren't idiots. No. They know what rates and what people want, and people want it. So it's here to stay. I know, oh, one thing I'll tell you about. It, we, we kind of get to that point at the end of the film where the journey of the Harker is kind of given some payoff. And believe me, 1980s television coverage is not easy to play with when you're trying to create some emotion and some feelings. Well, let me say a couple of things. Um, so a couple of congratulations. The I hate remakes. Mm. Like, you know, where they remake something and it'll be the shark attack story and then they'll have the person splashing in the water, the remakes. Your remakes, your, I don't know what the proper word is, if that is the right word. Uh, Reconstructions. Reenactments. Reenactments are really unobtrusive yep. and they help the flow all together, and I was watching it. And after I realised that, watching the first half of the doco, yeah. the second half I started going, "Why are these things that I normally hate so much unobtrusive?" And I think the way that you use the commentary over them. Yeah. So I think what a lot of people may do and mistake is they do their reconstructions almost as a part of the story, whereas your ones seem to be um, complementing the story, which was the the voiceover behind it. And it was it was really it actually. Ha- 
It sounds silly, and I don't mean to sound patronising, but it no. really helped the story. Oh, and good. at times, they were so subtly done, I kind of went, oh, it is, it is a reenactment. It's not the genuine footage. Like when you can't see their heads and they're in the yeah. changing rooms or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my view is that it needs to have a place. There's no, you just don't have these shots. You know, someone says something, and then you see the, you know, say it, say it, say it, say it, which is one of those traps I I hate when people fall into because it doesn't add anything to the story. What we wanted to do was find us a, a less literal approach. Yeah. I mean, obviously there were sometimes an events that we there are no there is no footage of. Yeah. And it needed to be a more emotional connection with the character or, you know, we just, or we just wanted a bit of space around some information. Well, the other thing as well I noticed is it felt like it was more of a film mm. um, presence. I One comes to mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure you will, but there was a reenactment of getting off the bus at some stage. Yep. And there was like 30 people in the background as if, and, and like most reenactments would be one or two people mm. done to the side, but this was like, it looked like it was a, you know, a full, a full <coughs> extras day. And I think that added to the storyline. Yeah. And, and I think I should, huge credit to, um, firstly, we had uh, Chris Dudman who did the, the drama side of think reenactment side as a director. And then we had David Paul, who was the cinematographer um, and they made it look like a movie, you know. Yeah, so. and that's why I'm surprised. When I, I'm surprised that you've said it's a, a small screen type thing. What about other film festivals? You know, are there mm. other ones that it's going to travel to. Yeah, I'm not. I, again, I'm not sure uh, what. Plans Who makes those decisions? Charlotte, who's the producer? Okay. She, I mean, she's got a, a company and she's got loads of things going on. Um, she couldn't come this time. She had. Basically, Charlotte decided to make this, then gave birth. Oh, um, then we made selfish. this. So now she's having <laughs> she's having some much deserved maternity leave. Yeah, cool. Um, but and you're I, running around doing all the work. I, I'm happy to. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, it depends on what happens overseas. Whether she can get some interest in some markets. I, th- I mean, I think this. It's interesting uh, whether you think it. It sort of translates um, whether the story would be. You know, would the would an international audience understand it in the way that, that I mean, there are a lot of very subtle New Zealand um, things in there. I think immediately the Commonwealth it would yep. work in the Commonwealth, yeah, because they, you know, because we understand rugby, understand that culture, and also I think that within the Commonwealth, you know, the Rainbow Warrior or their world story, mm. um, you know, the All Blacks were a brand. I think certainly in the Commonwealth it would work, but you know, I I spend a lot of time listening and watching international news and international opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's via podcasts or via news sources or whatever. And I'm always amazed the amount of time international people who like, you know, let's say NFL, Americans, are talking about how much harder these rugby guys are than the NFL players. They don't use pads. And I think that because of those uh, – I think it would naturally get into the Commonwealth countries yeah. easily. I think there's probably a place for it. I mean, even, I mean, I, I you, you know what it's like. It's blood, if it bleeds, it leads. Blood on the floor sells. <laughs> yeah. That Buck, that Buck Shelford story, not to come back to it over and over again, mm. that will get anybody who likes sports yeah. watching this documentary. It's interesting. Have you seen those videos on YouTube? And, and there's loads of them, sort of like Americans watch rugby for yes. the first time. Yes, yes. <laughs> They're like, what the fuck? <laughs> they've got no it's, pads it, on. It's, it's usually the first time they've seen Jonah or someone like yeah, that yeah, playing, yeah. but it's it's they just can't comprehend this. Yeah. You know, no one's wearing any you know protective gear in the same way as they yeah. do. Well, they say that um, American NFL, they hit harder, mm. but that's because they're silly and they think the pads are protecting them. And, yeah. of course, the brain is in liquid and, and being having a helmet on doesn't actually no, protect the brain from going problem. bang, 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 bang into your head. What did I watch the other day? Concussion, was it, the film? Yeah, I think I did. Yeah, yeah I did, yeah, with Will Smith. Oh, yeah, yep. these guys are hilarious. Just give us a few, uh, 30 seconds of it. Wait for them to be. He's an all black player. So for people who are listening, we're watching a YouTube. He was so young. Americans react to rugby legend John Alonso. Look, look at Ray. I was about to say, look, look at it. You legs. see his legs? Oh. Jeez. Lost that. So, yeah, if you. That's the tease. Yeah, if you look up. Tree trunks for legs. Tree trunks for legs. If you look up Americans reacting, this is when he's playing seven, so it was even quicker. Oh, Jonah. 
Yeah, it's it's hilarious. And I was thinking it's, it shows that the closed world of America sometimes. Yeah. I don't think there's too many sports in the world that, you know, Kiwis haven't seen or heard of. Although I saw one the other day, some crazy one coming out of India where it's some mix between handball and indoor soccer. And I was like, oh, what the hell? It's called Kabali or something Shibadi. like that. Is that what it is? I think so. And I didn't know what the hell was going they, on. They tried to, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, Channel 4 in the UK tried to make a TV show out of it and, and make it like a sporting show. I don't, yeah. I don't think it lasted more than a season, but understandably. I think I did see it on Sky Sport or something like that. Yeah. Like late one night and I'm just like, so yeah, I, I should <laughs> shut up and not be so arrogant saying that it's easy to understand that we know all the sports because we don't. Yeah. But yeah, the Americans don't don't seem to understand a lot of things outside of American sports. So, no, But I mean, I suppose going back to your question, it, are the plans, it, it would be great if she can, um, get it into festivals overseas. I mean, sell it overseas. South by Southwest, there's yeah. cans, there's all sorts of stuff that you can get. And then, you know, as producers and directors, you get to travel around the world for a while talking rugby. The, that's Do right. you need someone to carry your bags? I'll give you another tagline if I can carry your bags. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends because some of them are so specific. You know, I mean, Sundance is kind of very artsy yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and things like that and South by Southwest. But I, I absolutely, it would be fab. Yeah, some of you some of them have uh, required to be exclusive as well. I yeah, think that you right. kind of premiered before you go to them. Mm. The thing as well is, you know, we had the Richie McCaw documentary mm. that was released quite soon after the World Cup, mm. and there is a Dan Carter one coming up, twenty sixth of August. Yeah, so, I d- so I d- rugby I d- on the big screen seems to be happening. Yeah, I, d- I spent a few weeks working on the Richie one, right, helping out um, Dan Carter one. Very interesting to see. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, Richie obviously was a sporting icon. Yeah. I mean, Dan was obviously a great number 10, but... Yeah. I think that's the name of the doco. It's called The Perfect 10 or something. The Perfect 10. Made yeah. by a British company as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw Interestingly, that. So. But talking about what you've done, Jace, bring up the bigger picture. I mean, you guys have seemed to have your finger in a lot of really well, interesting pies. Well, I mean, what, I mean, the company's really me as an editor. Yeah. And, and the, the roles I've... The projects I've worked on. Just go to the homepage and scroll down. That's the easiest oh, way to yeah. do it because you're at the bottom of the homepage. Look, Kim.com tickled, tickled. Uh, there's some big things. There's some big. Yeah. There's some big flicks. Abalone Wars, which I love. Did you? I, I love that series. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, that was made down here. Yeah, I mean, I mean shot in Australia, obviously, but made uh, made yeah. locally. And so it's you're doing some really interesting things. Mm. yeah, I've been very lucky. I think uh, Tickled was great fun, obviously. What did you do for Tickled? I cut that. So you, so you weren't with them, you were here? I was here. They, they, David and, and Dylan went and shot. Yep. Um, and then they brought it back and we sort of had to splice it into into sort of a coherent story. Yeah. Um, I suppose you being the editor, you were, you, you were just, you got to, you got to hide, you didn't get any death threats or letters from David <laughs> Armato, whatever his name was. Dave, David Armato. Yeah. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Um, the chem.com was more interesting. We all got a little bit paranoid um, because obviously our, our he's, got, he's got a little bit more skills and he, he, he could actually, you know, hack you. <laughs> well, and, so and, that, and also so could the government as well. Was that a documentary on chem.com yep. without his involvement? No, well, no, he wasn't it. What happened was this was another one um, for the big screen and there's actually a really good trailer for it if you want to find it. Um, he... Annie Goldson is the director and she basically, I wouldn't say stalked him, but followed him <laughs> wanting to make this thing for a long time and uh, decided to make the documentary regardless of his involvement. Um, and then we sort of pretty much put it together and by the time we almost finished the thing, she finally convinced him to right. uh, be involved, which was at the moment that he was about to... So it was a little bit of that. This thing is We're a live movie that's playing out for like four and a half years already. And I'm the main act. Top story this hour. New Zealand is at the centre. There's a crazy story, man. There's a crazy story. So you basically had the option where you're saying, we're doing this docker either. Mm. This is your last chance to be involved or not. And he went, okay, I better be involved. Yep. I, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that Kim... Uh, needed a motive to be involved, yeah. Um, and and obviously with what was going on here, um, and his case, it, it, it suited him to do it. We tried to, we didn't try to get sucked into all the, you know, um, the story and try to tell a balanced story. Interestingly but did, enough, but did you get sucked in? I mean, do you have any insights as to what you reckon? Oh no, I've got my own views. Yeah. Um, I kind of think they came. I don't think they intentionally went out to do what they did. 
I, th I think they happened upon it and didn't do very much about changing the system. They so just so just pause, just so people know, when you say happened upon it, it seems that the I spoke to the FBI about it on a radio show. Mm. I actually, if I'm accurate, I say I spoke to a former FBI agent about yep. that, and the claim for why it was breach of copyright and then all the more serious claims that he explained to us. Now, I'm not saying this is what happened, mm. but what he explained to us is amongst their file-sharing website, they would offer financial incentives for people to share, like once you shared bigger files. And, of course, the bigger files being shared, bigger meaning uh, more downloads with things like the latest movies. So, therefore, what they were claiming, the FBI was claiming, was you're offering a financial incentive to that user to yeah. share our property, our property, our copyrighted property. Yeah, what I suppose what I'm saying is I don't think that was the plan at the beginning. Right. I think I think when they realised how they could monetize it, then they made it work for them. Um, and I think they always believed they were protected by the Digital Millennium Copyright Act because mm. that was essentially, you know, it's that puts the onus on the uploader, not the company. Yeah. So he felt, you know, we 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 are protected by law, and and obviously the FBI and the DOJ felt differently. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I always <clears throat> used to think, you know, uh, mega upload, it's a little bit like saying we've given you the platform, you're choosing to break the law. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like saying, you know, my Volvo car is the best car for a Ram raid yeah. because of how strong the frame is. Yeah. Now, that means I'm not, I'm not selling this to you to commit a Ram raid. I'm not endorsing that. But if you use it for that, it's the best one for the job. Mm. The difference being it seems like what the FBI was saying in the interview I had with him is the, the, the parallel would actually be, and if you do do the best Ram raid, we might give you a five grand bonus. Yeah. And that, that seems to be where the difference I'd, oh, I've, absolutely. Um, I've uh, contacted Kim.com a half dozen times to see if we can get him to chat, but he, but I, I, he must be a little bit over the whole thing. I thought, well, because yeah, he's he's in Queenstown now, isn't he? Yeah, he's not very yeah. far away. He was, he was, he was. My wife said that last night. He was, um, he tweeted or something saying that uh, he's going to move because of the earthquake. Yeah. He's like, oh, lots of earthquakes. I think I might move. And mm. my, my wife was like, out of New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The shaky eyes. He's, he's a very divisive character, isn't he? You know, people. He's got followers and, and a lot. A of, lot. Yeah. And a lot of people. Was the doco was the doco at the same time as as his album launch? Was that maybe one of the well, reasons he agreed to it? <laughs> um, well, it, we, we follow him through the um, the political party, the the whole thing through right. to, the, to the the court case, and obviously the court case is ongoing now. It's Supreme Court, isn't it? I think we're at. You know. Well, it seems that one of the most interesting, and I, I don't know too much about it, so mm. I could be talking out my a-hole here, but it seems that one of the most interesting things was there should have been, there was laws in New Zealand not allowing the US government to do what they did, but they yeah. did it anyway. Again, you can get so political and go so much further and look at, I mean, we're talking about the Hobbit laws and we, we, we look at what was going on and how that potentially was going to get ended. You know, essentially there were threats that the film wasn't going to get made here. Yeah. Uh, and John Key and government were, you know, very obliging with the US government and, you know, sort of rumours, nothing's been kind of, you know, is there, no hard evidence. Is there an appropriate level of uh, time now? Because what would that, that election would have been 2014? 2014, yeah. Now that there could be a follow-up? I mean, I'm just thinking what's happened since, I'd, where uh, are they? I mean, I think... I, th I think we'd have to have... I don't think we'd need to follow... I think what you could do is add on to the end of the story when we get some kind of closure. Right. I mean, the closure is going to be, will the government throw them out or not? By the time it gets to the Supreme Court and the final decision is made, yeah. you know, that's kind of the end of that story, really, I think. I think, I mean, it was such a big story. It took us... Annie had been playing with footage for a year before I joined the production, and mm. then when we started cutting, we were on it on and off for a year. And we, by the end of it, we were going. This is a six-part series for Vice. You know, it's, right. it, it's so there is so much going on in in his world, and the whole story um, that it could go on forever. And, and after two years, I think well, it was three. Her and Alex, the producer, had been on it. I think everyone was a little bit tired and jaded by the whole story. So, I, I think that's that. But mm. I, I think you could you could put a kind of an ending if something happens if there is when a the when the D when it finishes up the DVD has a the the, the Scooby Doo alternate ending absolutely the add on ending um, well that, that's 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 kind of um, what the Tickle King King isn't it that's that's kind of what the, the quite a little yeah bit. The, the the Tickle King yes it was it, it, I mean there was potential for a sequel 
um, because that was HBO who wanted to follow on. But then it it was decided that there wasn't really enough to make another film, so they wanted like a, a short sequel, which was, I suppose, a coda. Some kind of closure. Yeah. You know, well, like, it, 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 it was more about David D'Amato and the was, character. I can't, was, was without, it's, it's, it's old enough now that there's, there's no spoilers, but no. Did he, he didn't die what, before the Tickle King. So no. it was, he died after Tickle King, wasn't no, he? No, what the Tickle, I mean, Tickle King is essentially what happened when Tickled hits the cinemas and, and, and got general right. release. Yeah. Yeah, the, I don't okay. know if I've seen it. I know that I've def- certainly seen footage of him turning up at the screeners. Yeah. Well, and I know they, that's they in footage. the Tickled King, yeah, but it's also yeah. floating around that footage. So, yeah, yeah. yes, it is. I mean, I think you can find Tickled King on, on YouTube these days. So you have done some really interesting things, been involved in some really interesting projects. Your full-time gig... You've got a, a pages of work to do as editing. You get out there with a the camera and film, that I, kind of thing. I don't. I started off as a cameraman, mm. um, way way back, but I decided I didn't like early was starts. It, is that in, <laughs> news? Um, yeah, news? corporate videos and, right. and stuff like that. Um, That's my bread and butter at the moment. <laughs> um, I, what happened is I ended up having to cut the stuff I shot, mm. um, which is a great way to learn how to um, shoot. Sure, and get good coverage, but I because yeah, you're sitting in the edit suite and you're going, oh, I haven't why got one isn't it Adam Focus? Why don't I have that shot? And yeah. you go, well, I should have got that. And you can only blame yourself because it was you who, who stuffed it up and didn't get the right B-roll. Absolutely, but then I, I kind of discovered editing, so I, I've sort of stayed there really, and that's good, enjoyable. I d- yeah, do it, do it out of your home. Got I d- yes, yeah, yeah. So you're gun for hire? Do it in your pajamas? No, I don't do that in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing Liz's pajamas. I just put a hand in the air there for a second. No, she works in her pajamas. Okay. <laughs> hey, well, um, I just want to. I, 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 you guys have to be out of here, not too far away. Mm. The, the screenings in a couple of hours. Um, so just jump backwards a bit because I'm interested also in a little bit of rugby chat. Yep. Uh, one of the things I found interesting about the documentary, and I think it was about the when they played the last. Test in France before the Rugby World Cup, the Battle of Nantes, and I'm pretty sure one of the players, maybe it was in the the edits, uh, the interview. So it was you know 30 years later, said they blew us off the park, mm. and I just thought weekend just gone, Wallabies versus All Blacks, they blew us off the park. Yeah, um, you're a, you've already said you're a rugby fan. What are you thinking about sort of where rugby's at at the moment in general? Oh look, I th- I, I think. Um, we have had a lot of conversations about this. I, th- I, I don't think there's reason to be concerned about the All Blacks. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of experimenting going on. I mean, they're going to lose a lot of players to injury when they get to the final stages. So invariably, they've got to put people out of position. I mean, Ben Smith... Don't go there. Ben Smith back. To, I, I I wonder if Ben the, Smith on the wing. Um, I wonder if the Moanga and Barrett thing has maybe done its course. I wonder if when Barrett touched the ball on the weekend, that magic mm. was still there. So yeah, I wonder if they have to get the ball more into his hand more often, which means maybe Ben going back to fullback. Well, I, I, that seems to be the logical <laughs> thing. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Drives are mad. Um, yeah, I I think so. It's been an experiment. Yeah. Um, I think it's frustrated a lot of people. Um, I, I also don't know if they turned up mentally in the last game. The Australians just, they wanted it so much. Yeah. Um, I wonder if Hanson's a little bit, you know, calling Checker Mickey Mouse or whatever it was, whether that's true. <laughs> All the coaches are Mickey Mouse or whatever. <laughs> I think it's interesting, and this mm-hmm. is not to say, I, I said to, gosh, I can't remember who we were chatting to, someone in the rugby came out, and I said, I, I think... Just purely statistically speaking, for mm. any team to win three Rugby World Cups in a row is such a – it's an Everest. I just don't know if yeah. – the it's, it basically has to line up three times in a row for the All Blacks. So I just don't know if the odds are, are ever in their favour, mm. as uh, Mockingjay says. <laughs> you know, I won, South I Africa are looking good, I think. I think they could very much be the, the ones who take the crown if the All Blacks don't. Mm. I but Wales, you know what? Wales. I, 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 I. Did you watch the game? No, I didn't. Against yeah. England. No. No. So we, we see you're, you're, you know, from the UK, from England. Mm. Are you an English fan primarily? If England's playing the All Blacks, who are you backing? A tough one. Is it? <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a tough one. No. Um, no. I. Yes, England. I'd yeah. say, but um, I've always been an England fan. But we're not going to win it. That's for sure. 
Well, it's interesting because like it feels like six months ago they were on the cusp of being the the greatest thing in the world, and then Ireland stepped up, and now yeah. Wales has stepped it's, up. So it feels it like that's interesting. an interesting dynamic. I think the Northern Hemisphere have definitely caught up, mm. um, and they've realised you know the fitness levels of the teams over here and the skill levels, and they've definitely worked on all those things. I, I think it's got closer. I'm not convinced. That they can quite do it. I, as I say, I, I'd put South Africa there first. Um, do you when, think All Blacks are still favourite to win right now? I, d- I think they will. When they get into the World Cup, I think you'll see a different mindset. But here's you know. the here's the thing, right? And this is the difference between the All Blacks and everybody else. I've already said I think statistically for them to win it is unlikely. Mm. I think they'll go in absolutely favourites and should be so number one for you know 10 years in a row minus a few weeks Mm. Um, I think the difference with the All Blacks to any other team is the All Blacks don't have to play a perfect tournament to win the World Cup All Blacks can play an average game against let's say Ireland Mm. or Wales and still win if South Africa plays an average game against Ireland or Wales they will lose so the difference has been that I remember actually talking to someone at the last World Cup who was very nervous about the game against Australia. And I said, um, if Australia plays their best possible game, which is what they did in the weekend, and the All Blacks play their best possible game, All Blacks win. Yeah. If the Australia plays their best possible game and All Blacks play an average game, probably All Blacks still win. Mm. If Australia play their best possible game and All Blacks play terribly, Australia win. And that's what I think happened in the weekend. But I think that formula is, and I'm not being disrespectful to the other teams, no. but I think that's fair for every, you know, for, for all games. You know, if if the All Blacks play their best possible game every game, no one touches them. Mm. If they play an average or a bad game, and let's say England or Ireland or Wales or Australia or whatever have their best possible game, they get knocked out. What happened with France? You know, when we play, when we got knocked out from them, albeit the forward pass. But that's that's mm-hmm. that's you know that's fair enough. That's rugby. Um, so I think that the All Blacks are the team that can win the World Cup, having a somewhat average section through the tournament. Every other team to beat the All Blacks and to beat yeah. have to pay have a perfect tournament. And I, that's, that's their strength. Yeah, I, and I do think it comes back to mindset. I mean, I, I, I think they just have the belief because they are – you'll often see them down in the first half, but that, you know, but the second half you know they're coming back. Even at the last minute of the game, you just don't give up. Um, a team, my own countrymen, I, I think, have a psychological issue. Um, they seem to do well and then they sort of – they capitulate – um, which I find frustrating. Bring that back up, Jace. If it wasn't going to be New Zealand or England for you, who would you want to see win it? Ooh, I think South Africa. I oh, know. good God. You just made a New Zealand rugby documentary and you say that. You'd like to see South Africa. And you said if it wasn't New Zealand or England. Yeah. yeah. You pick South Africa as your next choice. Yeah, good because I think, I think they... Do. I think I, this interview's over. I think they've earned it. <laughs> I think they've earned it. I liked Ireland win it if it wasn't those two. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They've they've can't. I mean, I, you, were asking, you were asking me an emotional question rather I than a, a logical, fact-based question. So Paul C is the pool of death. So really England, France, yeah. Argentina. That Really other than that... All the others, there's two obvious that are going to go through. And we're going to get beaten up, probably, in our pool. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Could be. Tonga will break their legs, probably. Yeah. Well, if it, um, was in New Zealand, if it was in New Zealand and in Auckland, 80% of the audience would be the, would be from Tonga. Um, Amazing support. Scotland, uh, Scotland seemed to be kind of having a bit of a renaissance and then again it's it's gone wrong for them again. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the host nation does Samoa always shows up, but I don't think Ireland. I think Ireland and Scotland get through. New Zealand and South Africa get through. Probably on form, England and France get through, and yeah, Australia, Wales. So probably your standards, are the ones that are going to get through there. Yeah, nothing new then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So if anyone happens to be watching live, or pick up on this conversation in the next couple of hours. Um, oh, actually, in tomorrow because it's on tomorrow afternoon. Yes, tomorrow. The documentary afternoon. is by the balls. Um, my I'm desperate to get my father to see it, but hearing that it's going to come to TV. So, do you know when it's going to be on TV instead? No, it's it's scheduled as part of the Sunday theatre. But before Rugby World Cup, surely. Yeah. Either the 15th or the 22nd. Of, so second half of September on yeah. TV instead. Okay, but don't don't um, stay at home and wait for that. Come to the theatre tonight. Yeah, I'm I'm. That was more personal information for people who aren't in Dunedin. Mm. 
But if you're in, yeah, look, I, like I said to you, I've seen it, loved it. Honestly, I'm not just saying that because you're here because I've I've watched films all the time and mm. I'd never tell someone it sucked sitting in front of me. But but actually, <laughs> genuine, and, and and that's why you know this was a part of my yeah. formative years. So so it's a delightful movie, and well, it's and it's uh, not just a. It's not documentary just, about rugby. It certainly ain't, and I think it will resonate with a lot of people of a certain age. But also, it's it's a good education for the for the next generation as well. Yeah. Um, as I was saying when we were at the Wellington screening, quite a few people saying this should be in schools. You know, this is a good his, piece of New Zealand history. Yeah, I think that's cool. And the other thing was uh, Keith Quinn, who is featured in this, came along to Wellington. Um, he thought the All Blacks needed to see it before they went off to see to the World wow, Cup. Wow, there you go. Yeah. Quinn is amazing, eh? Yeah. I got to spend a night with Keith Quinn. Um, he came and spoke at a golf club in Northland and oh, I can't remember who organised it, but we had a spare room, so we stayed at our batch for a night. Fabulous. And the stories. I'm desperate to get him on down here. Yes. Oh, the listen. stories that Keith Quinn's got. He told me a story. I'll repeat the story. You never know we are telling two stories, but we'll wrap it up here. He told a story about one of the Wesson brothers when they used to fly across to, you know, play in England and, and the flights were longer than they are now, and he used to say that they'd constantly put food in front of you. So he said one of the Wesson brothers at one stage got all the food from the tray in the airline and put it into a sick bag. Pushed the buzzer and went, Ooh, and then started saying, no, oh, I've been sick. And then looked into the sick bag as the air hostess comes towards me and goes, oh, but that was quite tasty. I might and start eating the food out of the, out of the sick bag. <laughs> the story you told the other night about John Drake was beautiful. John Drake. Yeah. Mm. Do you remember that story? Uh, about the, uh, this was with Blanco. Yeah. Uh, before, so after the World Cup final. Yeah, Serge Blanco. Serge Blanco. Number 15. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Somewhat, I think the question was, you know, were the, you know, once the game's over, are the, mm. te- you know, the players' mates, or is the, you know, animosity yeah, yeah. and all that? And I'm going to ruin this story. I really am because I, I'm trying to remember it. I, I can. I can Do you want to come, 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 come in? Come in. Just wriggle to the right a bit there, Simon. I, just, I thought it was a beautiful story. At the end of the World Cup match, for the aftermatch, you had to have jackets and ties on to get into the aftermatch. And Serge Blanco and John Drake were standing outside talking. And John Drake had played a lot of rugby in France, so they were talking in French and then they'd switch to English and back to French and having a great conversation. And these two kids come up and said to John Drake, give us your tie. John Drake went, oh, oh yeah, all right, here you go. Took his tie <laughs> off and handed it to this kid. The next kid to, said to Serge Blanco, well, give me yours then. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, here you go, guys. So these two kids went running off with these two precious, precious ties. Yeah. So the guys tried to get into the aftermatch and they couldn't get in because they didn't have ties. <laughs> so they went round the back into the kitchen, got the kitchen staff to set them up a little table with two chairs, two bit. glasses, bottle of red wine, and that was their aftermatch alone in the kitchen. Amazing. Yeah, these See, are, I would have destroyed that story. That was, <laughs> that was a well-told story. Thank you. Appreciate that. The reason, that's, that's why we want to get storytellers in. Yeah. Oh, God, and absolutely. Keith has got a million, and he's got an encyclopedic yeah. memory. It's amazing. Yeah. And speaking of storytellers, congratulations on the doco. Thank you very much. It is, it, is a, it is a gem, and I agree. School kids should be watching it. Everyone should be watching it. If you're in Dunedin and you are happen to be listening to this live um in about two and a half hours, it's on at the Regent. That's correct. Is it the Regent, not the Rialto? The Regent. The Regent. But it's at the Rialto tomorrow at 2.15. And, and I'm going to hang around after if anyone wants to ask any questions. Yeah. So yeah although little... you probably answer them more now anyway. I probably have. <laughs> so it'll be a very very short Q&A because everyone will want to go home, I suspect, at that time of night on a Tuesday. So if you happen to be here in Dunedin, 8.45 tonight at the Regent, um, I, I think I'm going to get there. I've got to figure out my evening yet. Um, so we'll probably see you tonight but if we don't again hugest congratulations thank you and um, it will be it's one of my top five favourites immediately brilliant so that's awesome cheers for coming in thank you alrighty then uh, so yeah uh, second half of September the documentary will be on TVNZ on a Sunday night and I have to be honest it honestly is really one of my favourite docos I've seen of recent times because of the personal connection I have 
towards it and it was a very formative time for me but just a good doco in general as well so as I said before we started this podcast a bit of an international film festival week this week on Saturday we are going to be having a chat with director of Bellbird Hamish Bennett Hamish Bennett will be joining us in the studio, I think, middle of the afternoon, like about 3.30 from memory, but keep an eye on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash DEPT of conversation with more details there. And there is actually the chance that we may have one or two more filmmakers in before the end of the week, Um, but they haven't confirmed yet. So best thing to do is to head to that Facebook page and you will be able to uh, see who is coming up and when they are coming up. And whilst you're there, if you like the Facebook page, the Department of Conversation on Facebook, uh, for about another week or so, you go into the drawer for a boring smartphone valued at about $550. DEPT of Conversation on Facebook. Uh, If not before, we will definitely see you on Saturday afternoon with Hamish Bennett. Until then, hooroo.